You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hey everybody, it's Nathan here. I'm just coming in at the beginning of the show to let you know that this is part two of our Star Trek movie original series podcast. So if you haven't listened to part one, I strongly recommend you go back, listen to our previous episode, then come back here. In the first episode, we covered the first three Star Trek movies. And yes, while we did jump around a little bit and talk about the movies as a whole a little bit, broadly, we talked about the first three in part one, and now we're going to talk about four or five and six in part two. So I'm not going to say too much about it. You can listen to Stephanie, Eric, Ryan, and myself go on, but we're going to go first to our promo for another fine podcast, and then you will join the Star Trek movie episode already in progress. Time to grab your pillow and join the Geek Father in Little Bit for discussions on current, nostalgic, and speculative happenings in pop culture. Nerd news, fandom histories, deep dive discussions, reviews, and more. It's like listening to your closest friends have a nerdy conversation. So sit back, relax, and let the Blurred Nerds podcast embrace you with their warm, goofy goodness. It's nerd goals for your ear holes, right here on the ESO Network. So let's talk about Star Trek Four, The Voyage Yay! Home, which this was my daughter's favorite out of all of them. It's mine, too. I love The Whale. But we're going to get to you, Stephanie. Um, Eric, why don't you say, like, uh, just give us sort of the brief highlights of your thoughts of Star Trek Four? Okay. Well, I now that I'm not pressured to remember her name, <laughs> Catherine Hicks, if you're out there and you're listening <laughs> and you want to fly away and study space whales with me please call please call um i've been in love with jillian since 1987 six whenever it was um actually here's here's my story about star trek four uh so i sort of became aware of star trek around the time i was five or six so i would have been old enough maybe to go to the theater to see star trek three but we didn't um, because I, for some inexplicable reason, my parents would never take me to see anything I mm. wanted to see. Um, so I practically begged to go see Star Trek Four in the theater. Um, and as it turns out, it would have been the sort of movie my folks would have loved. Um, but no, we didn't see that. And I have been angry about <laughs> it ever since. Um, it still comes up sometimes in family, uh, you know, over um, Instead, I got dragged to see 
wonderful movies that stood the test of time, like uh, James Garner in Tank. <laughs> um, yeah. So the first the first Star Trek film I ever saw in the theater was Final Frontier. Um, but anyway, um, I got it on video for Christmas. I remember uh, Star Trek Four, and um, uh, of course that was in the era when you went to video stores and rented videos, and so we. We'd seen it before, and I remember burning up that tape that we rented, uh, watching it over and over and over. And another amazing score, mm-hmm. um, very expressionist compared to Horner's scores, um, but so full of joy. Um, but um, uh, what what did you ask me? I've sort of got yeah. So, so just you know, how how did you feel about Star Trek Four? What are your sort of overall thoughts? Oh. I mean, it, it's it's just like uncorking a bottle of champagne and or really good old wine and just it's just joy. It's joy. It's the the Doctor Who equivalent of it is City of Death, which I'm probably the only person that will get that reference. But okay, <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. The rest of you, but um, it is it's like lightning bottled, and there's nothing better than seeing the Star Trek crew the original series crew interacting in the present day. Mm. Uh, and, and it is the most quotable Star Trek film. Yeah. Computer. Um, computer. <laughs> computer uh, absolutely. And Stephanie absolutely. and I at the same um, time. <laughs> uh, my, my personal favorite out of many, many favorites um, are, uh, is, um, could, could you direct me to the nuclear yes, weapons, which of course is its own thing right. uh, over in Alameda. And the woman, who apparently was just somebody they found on the street, says, I, I, don't, I don't really know. I think it's across the bay in Alameda. <laughs> and, and he, you know, Chekhov says, that's, that's what I said in, in Alameda. You know, he's like grousing about it. That and when my brother told me that my nephew, his first child, was going to be born, he told me like this, uh, Eric. Gracie's pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> that, that should tell you everything you need to know about how how quotable that film is. So anyway, yeah. I actually remember you know how we used to get together and watch Babylon Five um, when when I lived in South Carolina, Eric. Yeah. And I remember one time I went to your house and you were watching Star Trek Four and you were telling me the Gracie's pregnant story. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, I remember you getting a kick out of that line when Spock says it. But <laughs> uh, everything that they say in that film is comedy gold. Everything. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, so yeah, Star Trek Four. I think. I think one of the things that that I totally agree with um, that you just said is that uh, the the whole idea of them being fish out of water in the present day just makes that movie so much fun. Because like, and it's funny because like I'm watching this with my daughter, and it's 30 years on even from the movie, right? And so now I'm having to explain to her like what yellow pages are, <laughs> you know? Because that's one of the things is you know they eventually figure out that they can look in the phone directory, you know, to start you know looking for things, and it's like she's like, what? What is that? Like so before the internet, <laughs> you back know, in the dark ages, called, called a phone book. And it had a section called the yellow pages and that's where business listings were. So, you know, it's just one of those things that was just kind of funny because I'm like, even now, if someone from now is transported back to 1987, they'd struggle because 
there are concepts that, you know, we took for granted then that they don't, that people don't understand. But, uh, yeah, nu Nuclear Wessels is my favorite because the guy with the strong Russian accent is asking to see the Nuclear Wessels, you know. <laughs> in the mid-80s, you know. <laughs> yeah, in the height of the Cold Wars. But how, you can, you not, how can you not uh, emit Vulcan tears, tears of logic, when Chekhov says, Admiral, <sighs> it's the Enterprise. I mean, how yes. can you not just... I have a friend who served on the real Enterprise, mm -hmm. and... I mean, he gets tired of me, I think, because I constantly talk to him about the Enterprise. It's it's the <laughs> dumbest thing ever, but I, it's just such a, it's such it's a it's it's part my, it's in my heart. The Enterprise lives in my heart. Yeah. See, the thing about Star Trek Four to me is, as far as like plot wise, there's sort of the depth of the storytelling. It, it is not like the height of any of these movies. It's just so fun to watch, you know. There's no deep themes here. There's Save the Whales is the deepest theme in the movie. But, you know, how brave is that, right? I mean, yeah. they everything that had worked thus far in 2 and 3, the, the sort of dark, gritty, highbrow uh, entertainment and storylines, they, they like, screw it. They threw all that out, and they made a fun movie. It, they flew through time on a Klingon bird of prey. The only Enterprise, bless them, was the actual aircraft carrier in the entire movie until the very, no, at the end. very end. Until the very end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although that's the Yorktown, technically. But um, it, through, through it all, that, that's, there's a sense of the risk that they took there to tell us this story, to have this fun, this breath of fresh air after Spock dying, the Enterprise being destroyed, Spock coming back, a planet blowing up. We needed this as fans. Well, and that that scene at the end when they crash the bird of prey and, and they're in the water and the, the whales get out and, uh, you know, they're all splashing around in the water and they're all obviously having a whale of a time, the actors, you know, and they're laughing and even Spock. I can't tell whether Leonard Nimoy is laughing or if he's just sort of squinting into the rain, but he looks like he's laughing. And it's just like yeah. you couldn't imagine Spock doing that, you know, before he dies and comes back to life exactly. and starts receiving signals. <laughs> could, could you imagine Spock saying one goddamn minute, Admiral? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> well, 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 the funny thing is after experiencing the colorful metaphors in the 20th century, now in five and six, like Kirk takes it back with him because suddenly like he starts swearing, which he never did in the previous <laughs> movies. So. Um, I'm Stephanie. I'm sorry. We, I, I was trying to give everyone a chance to sort of talk about a movie in the beginning, but I wanted you to jump in at some point. So tell us about your love for Star Trek. You Ford. corner me with, so what are your thoughts on the wrath of Khan? <laughs> with movie that I'm just kind of neutral on. And then the one, you know, is my favorite. And <laughs> well, you, you're, you're rounding us out at the end. You, you sort of bring it home. Best for last. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I think it was probably one of the most enjoyable movies with a message like Save the Whales. Most of the time when we have something that is trying to prove a point like that, it, it comes across so preachy. And this, it was just a... the. The alien whales are looking for the whales that we killed. Crap, what do we do? <laughs> Save and them or we all die, you know. <laughs> Joke. <laughs> it pulled out that, that message of humanity can do harm to the planet, which in turn is going to 
bite us in the ass at some point. And they did it in a way that doesn't come off as preachy, but you still get the message behind it. And at the same time, as all of you have already said, it's incredibly fun to watch. It's quotable. It's memorable. And I think it's because they throw it into the 80s, even for a point of view from somebody like your daughter, who is completely foreign to that time. I mean, I'm technically completely foreign to that time too but (laughs) (laughs) let me lean on my cane closer to the microphone here i I think i think i was only three when that one came out um so anyways um it, it still was relatable um and also brought a level of um, more conventional relatability to the characters because they were tossed into our world and suddenly they were kind of having more of a fun time versus their their typical Starfleet personas. They were more, here's Jim Kirk, here's McCoy, here's Chekhov asking for Wessels. Yeah, yeah Eric mentioned some of those <laughs> quotable moments, but beautiful moments also is Scotty in the manufacturing plant and and McCoy in the hospital. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Dialysis. This is the Dark Ages. <laughs> and anything anything that DeForest Kelly says in that film is just comedy gold. I mean, yes. I mean, like when they're talking about different cancer treatments, he's like, it sounds like the Spanish Inquisition to me. <laughs> and then there's this um, moment where he tries to talk to Spock about like the experience they shared together in the previous movie. Uh-huh. And like Spock's not really having any of it. It's just this, it's this fun little interplay between those two characters and they get to share this, you know, the scene together. And I love it. I also <laughs> love when when Chakov is being interrogated and they're like, who are you? He's like, I'm Commander Chekhov. <laughs> he doesn't get at all that the, the guy's like being serious with if you keep playing games here we're done he's like really here I go now <laughs> it's so innocent and yet true to his character too oh another another fantastic quotable moment is when he and Ahura are uh, getting ready to leave the reactor room which is the most uh, non-reactor room looking set ever by the way not location Ahura you know, she goes. She goes on, and he's standing there with his uh, his communicator. Scotty, now <laughs> would be the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Check off. You know, uh, again to go back to the the opposite side of when he was being interrogated. Then when he was being he was woke woken up in the hospital, and uh, Kirk says name and rank, and he's. Admiral. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like this movie gave Chekhov really the time to shine that I think he only got in maybe one or two episodes. Yeah, Yeah. and in the previous movies, he didn't get a whole lot either, so it was nice. And in fact, he was the one character they didn't have in the animated series, so it's like Chekhov had always been kind of like 
you know, second class to the other. I mean, he so. joined in later too, and just. Mm-hmm. Well, when you think about it, he's kind of man. Now that I, I have to think about this for a minute, but let's see. In two, they put a you know a space bug in his ear, and yeah. and four, they throw him off an aircraft carrier. Um, <laughs> you know? I, mean, I kind of think they're kind of mean to check off. <laughs> yeah, but they finally gave him a, um, a chance to really you know become a real fully fleshed out character. I think in this uh, this particular movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. The worst indignity done to him is in. Uh, search for Spock when they put him in that horrible Dutch boy costume. <laughs> if you ever get a chance, go back and look at the costume and he's in. It's it's disturbing. It's a disturbing <laughs> costume. Um, I, I, Leonard Nemo, or not Leonard Nemo, Mark Leonard, of course, is in this one also. And I really like it because, again, watching the series through in, in order and then going into the movies directly, there's this nice moment between Spock and Sarek at the end that goes back to Journey to Babel, which is the, the original series episode where, you know, Sarek has such a hard time with Spock being in Starfleet because he wanted him to be on a Vulcan science ship. And in this movie, you finally get closure to that, where Sarek says, you know, I know that I opposed you joining Starfleet, but I believe my logic was an error. Yeah. Um, and so it's this really great moment that ties up something from the original series, which at this point is 20 years old, you know, but it's, it's, it's great, you know, that they, they put closure on that. There's also a great bit of continuity uh, with, um, I can't think of the guy's, the actor's name at the moment, but uh, he played the second drawl from Babylon 5, uh, and he yes. plays the Klingon yes. ambassador in this movie, and then... Uh, I think it's in six. He appears again um, mm-hmm. as the same character, yes. and I, I just think that's great oh, continuity. It's not even just him. Um, mm-hmm. This I, I I could be wrong, but I'm almost positive this is the first appearance of Admiral Cartwright, who yes, is later right. part of yeah the conspiracy. Yeah, and uh, in part six, mm-hmm. yeah. So. Um, as a matter of fact, he and Kirk were kind of like friend, or you know, they, they established a lot of. Um, callbacks and, and groundwork for future projects here. So even though you feel like this arc is kind of wrapping up here, um, it's like they're mm. kind of setting up for the next one. And yeah. if you yeah, if you want to go like total little Easter eggs that aren't even necessarily Star Trek related, the the uh, the guy on the bus that uh, Spock nerve pinches with the boombox shows up again in Spider-Man Homecoming <laughs> with the boombox. Same actor. You know? <laughs> I had not caught yeah. that. I can't yeah, believe I well actually one. I probably did. I just completely forgot within there. Well, it was on Facebook, which is the only reason I knew it. So, but yeah, it's that's key. Also, that. the, uh, the the song that's playing on the bus, he wrote that actor wrote uh, because he had like a punk band. So whatever you know, whatever I I hate you. I think I hate you, and I berate you. It's like a really cut rate sex pistols. Yeah. Um, the one thing that I have, the only issue that I have with this movie, though, is it's like only supposed to be like, you know, a few months after the, the third movie, but they've already got a whole other Enterprise made and ready to go. And it's like, yeah, we kind of knew that we weren't going to actually prosecute you guys. So here's your ship. And I'm kind of like, really? That's not how it seemed at the end of, you know, or the beginning of Search for Spock. It was like the Enterprise is done. You know, you're all getting reassigned to different places. OK, I don't know where I read it, so I can't speak to whether it's canonical or not. But uh, I do remember reading somewhere that Enterprise A is just uh, the Yorktown retrofitted. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my understanding too. That they had it, they had it ready to go to be York- Yorktown or whatever, and then they changed the name. Yeah. 
Um, although technically they probably shouldn't have changed registration, right? Because the registration <laughs> is based on its uh, construction in the naval yard, I presume. But this is, uh, after yeah. all, fiction. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, Starfleet has a different system. You know? <laughs> um, the, the, the one truly disappointing thing for me out of uh, Star Trek Four is that uh, Jillian never returned. Because, I mean, I wanted her to be. The, I think she's in one of the novels William Shatner. Well, wrote. I don't blame him for putting her in there because um, right. she is that character and the actress are just wonderful. They. They were the perfect foil, especially when you compare her to B.B. Batch, who is much more stern and kind of um, science-y, you know, um, professorial. Uh, and then, um, you know, Jillian is just, oh, I'm sorry. I'll stop gushing now. I mean, I, okay. <laughs> well, it's kind of interesting how chaste their relationship actually is, because I remembered it being a much more romantic thing. But watching it this recent time and watching the movie, I'm kind of like, there isn't a whole lot romantic really about it. I mean, there is a kiss, I think, at one point, and he's clearly into her. I'm not as sure how into him she is, you know. <laughs> so it's kind of it's one of those things that maybe it wasn't that. Big of a she deal only for them to she get only together. has eyes for whales. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> she's fascinated by what he can do and, you know, how he's involved with the whales, but it doesn't seem like she's into him. Really. Yeah, and I think it was just a kiss on the cheek, too. No. Yeah. I mean, I only watched it like six hours ago. I should remember this, but. <laughs> right. I don't know why I remember her as being one of Kirk's conquests, but she's really not. Yeah. To be fair, oh, I had the, the same memory of it as well. And. Kind of like we discussed in the TOS podcast, the whole perception of Kirk being a, a intergalactic uh, womanizer is just so far-fetched when it's Shatner's Kirk. Right. Yeah, he, yeah he's, he's a kid. Like, pop culture has caricatured him. Because while there were a lot of romantic interests in the original series, it wasn't as much as people say it is. There, there were definitely several. Well, there's but, so many. I mean, that, that is such a strong... Uh, caricature that it's even referenced by McCoy in the sixth movie uh, when Imam Iman, yes. excuse me, you know, he says, you know, like, what is it with you when when they end up? <laughs> you know? uh -huh. um, all right. So uh, does anyone have anything more to say about the voyage home? Um, it's the greatest. You know, uh, Nicholas Meyer, who wrote the screenplay for that one, he, he halfway through it, he realized he's just rewriting time after time uh, again, <laughs> set in San yeah. Francisco involving time travel. Yeah. But, you know, other than that, anyone who doesn't like Star Trek for the voyage home is clearly a bad, bad person and you don't want nothing to do with them. Uh, <laughs> I agree. Yeah. There is something seriously wrong and uh, you should stay far away. Exactly. They're probably a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here's the one that's going to throw people for a loop because this is my daughter's second favorite Star Trek movie. And that is the final frontier. Um, so, uh, Ryan, why don't you uh, give your overall thought on the final frontier? Um, <laughs> okay. So it does fall into the, the, you know, the odd number bad category, but I do think yeah. it gets a Really, really bad rap. I feel like it could have been better. Um, wait, I feel like there's the potential for something really good there. Um, to begin with, it kind of closes out the arc uh, of the previous movies. In the beginning, you've got a, a 
the Enterprise A, but it's kind of falling apart. They're still in the mm-hmm. process of getting her up and running. But at the same time, she's the only ship available, so they have to use her. But um, she's not. It's just they wanted Kirk there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, here's the here's the thing. I, I feel like this movie kind of, like, makes Scotty into, like, a bit of an idiot, which I, I don't particularly like, but we'll get into that more later. Um, so when when I was a teenager, one Christmas we went to this cabin, and uh, for and as my parents got me William Shatner's movie uh, memories uh, for Christmas, and I was stuck in this cabin. This was before the internet was everywhere, so I basically read – William Shatner's uh, memoirs um, over Christmas, mm-hmm. and he, he this was his first directing uh, job. Mm-hmm. Um, it, he and to hear this is all coming from Shatner, so take it with a huge grain of salt. Um, but he directed this one because apparently he and Nimoy had a clause in their contracts where anything one of them got, the other one got as well. That's true. And, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true. I didn't know that was the reason why he got to direct mm-hmm. this one. That's great. <laughs> so. Shatner directed this one, and uh, but budget-wise, it ha- it was slashed. Um, all the special mm-hmm. effects that he wanted, he couldn't get. Um, it, they, I, the, his vision, in fairness, was never going to be realized. But at the same time, it wasn't. Again, the diplomatic aspect of it, the, the sort of uh, coming together with Klingons and Romulans, there's a, a potential there for something great, and even the whole oh. We're going to find God. It's derivative. It's derivative of the motion picture. It's derivative of some of the original episode series, um, original series episodes. Um, but I really feel like if you watch it and you don't compare it to, to movies two through four, it's not a bad movie. It's got David Warner, so that also gives it the yeah. potential for greatness. Absolutely. But uh, – <laughs> I'm a huge David Warner fan, but uh, the only thing I can't get past is calling calling them marshmallows. That's still just I, I don't know what that's all about. Mm. Well, Spock's head still isn't right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's that's what I get out of it is that you know from the Katra being transferred into him, he's still recovering, and it's not until Star Trek Six that he's back, you know, fully. So so that's how I explained it to my daughter too because she kind of. But I was like, no no no, Spock's brain still is kind of out of joint. That's brain that's all and that brain. Is. What is brain? <laughs> um, yeah, I oh, mean, and we also got suckers. Kirk climbing the mountain. Why does Kirk climb the mountain out of this? Because so, it's there. there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Worth it right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what were we saying with non-toxic masculinity? This is the toxic masculinity. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be Macho Kirk because I'm directing it. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I do like the idea that on their vacation, they choose to spend it together camping. I love that idea of the three of them yeah. like hanging out like that. I mean, they just need to admit that they're in you know, a polyamorous relationship the three of them oh, together no. <laughs> <laughs> wow. that is that is the origin of slash man fiction, there you go we're not gonna go there uh, headcanon long since hey, accepted i'm just I, saying three men alone in the woods you know who work together whatever you know and then you've got um, Chekhov and sulu off in the woods too <laughs> i love them trying to like be like there's a storm <laughs> It's like sensors are showing clear skies and you know. 70 degrees. <laughs> oh, it's a miracle. <laughs> the sun has come out. <laughs> oh, it's it's cheap comedy, but it's still funny. Um, I love five. I'm I'm I, I love all six of them equally. Mm-hmm. I find it hard to dislike any of them, but um, 
I have a soft spot for Final Frontier because I, it was the first one I saw in the theater. Um, mm. And uh, my parents went and saw Dead Poets Society, uh, and my brother and I went to see Final Frontier. And I think I think my brother and I got the better uh, the better <laughs> option. Um, but I I love the the uh, the joy again that comes out of those characters and all the silly physical comedy is nice to see. We don't really get to see. I mean, I, Scotty wham, you know, hitting his head against the bulkhead is silly, but it amuses me. And well, and it okay. only works because he just continued the ship, like the back of his hand. Yeah. And, right. <laughs> right. Well, and, and so I, I kind of struggle with the Scotty part of this because the whole, I mean, even Kirk says it like Scotty, you should have had this thing repaired like weeks ago. And I mean, I, I don't know. It's just like, they want to make Scotty into this buffoon in Star Trek five. And I, I don't like it. I, I, I he's too busy thinking about on Twitter. <laughs> I'm sorry. What'd you say, Stephanie? I said, I think that's the exact word I used for him on Twitter. Yep. I said, he's not a buffoon. <laughs> I know. Cause like Scotty has always been like my favorite, you know, that isn't one of the, the, you know, that isn't Spock, you know, like Scotty's my second favorite. And I, I don't know. I just feel like James Doohan, you know, deserved a more serious take on that. I mean, Scotty's always been fun, but he hasn't been the butt of jokes. And I didn't like him being the butt of jokes. I liked him telling the jokes. Well, um, he's been the butt of jokes a few times. I mean, he did start a bar fight with Klingons because they insulted the Enterprise. <laughs> yeah, but that wasn't a joke. That, that was a great character mode. That, that was that was that was character. That was he but, he can't stand the Enterprise to be insulted. And that, that was also him making the joke, not being the joke. Well, it's a joke in the sense that yeah, I agree with that, Stephanie. But in the sense that let them insult Kirk till the cows come home. He's fine with it. Well, no, 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 no. He he wouldn't have been cool with it except Kirk told him to be on his best behavior. <laughs> and so that's why he didn't throw the punch when they insulted so, Kirk. But it's best Enterprise he can. But they couldn't hold it back anymore. <laughs> and, you know, there's him drinking the Andromedan under the table. You know, that was a fun, you know, silly moment from the original. But again, that was, again, a character thing. Scotty can hold his liquor. Yeah. You know, and he just knew that these guys who weren't used to it, it's like he could drink them under. And so I don't know. But this was I don't think this really gives us anything character wise. It's just, oh, look at that. Ha ha ha. He's an idiot and doesn't really know the ship at all. You know, I mean, I don't know. You know, you you can't you can't say that the scene with uh, the big three and Scotty in the brig is not comedy gold. <laughs> Oh, no, that seems Where they do Morse okay. code. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stand back. Stand you know, back, yeah. And uh, <laughs> they, they found the person that was most capable of breaking out of the brig, and, and uh, you know, they all look at Spock like, oh, okay, you know. Yeah. Um, I have to say that this movie has one of the best, I don't know that it's any deep analysis of theology or anything like that, but it has a question that I, that I find to be, an important one in religion. And I often pose to my friends who are preachers uh, and it is, and I'm all in, I say this in all seriousness, what does God need with a starship? <laughs> no, that's a great line. That is. And that's why it's so quoted, yeah. you know, and in other media, because yeah, I mean, if, if this, this being is supposed to be God, then why does he need them to bring the ship to him? You know? And so Kirk, Kirk slices right to the heart of the matter. Uh, yeah, I think it's a very basic question in religious faith. And um, in, in that respect, I think actually that the movie is more sophisticated than we think it is. Um, 
and, and the exploration of their personal pain and and uh, you know one Absolutely. of the interesting things about that film is I've never been clear and I think you're not supposed to be whether Spock is brainwashed by Cybok or not. Um, you know, he shows him the bit where uh, Sarek says he's so human. You know, what, and I've never mm. been clear on whether it does something to Spock or not. He doesn't seem affected, but he must have been affected. Um, well, I think that just shows where Vulcan, the Vulcan hierarchy lies, where logic is above emotion. He was affected emotionally, but he still knows the logical thing for him to do is stay with mm. Kirk. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe mm. so. Um, he didn't cry tears of logic over it. <laughs> well, but I, I, I tie it back to the, the motion picture, and this is probably the, one of the better arguments I think that I can come up with for, for what you said, Eric, about the motion picture being important. Scott has an epiphany in that movie. You know, and while they never really comment on it afterwards, the whole idea that Spock realizes that, you know, emotions, you know, including pain are part of what, you know, you need to move forward because V'ger doesn't have that, I think is something that he realizes going on. It's why we don't ever go back to the idea of Spock trying to purge himself of emotion. And so I think that Spock's more centered as, as an individual, whereas the original series, Spock, who had this dichotomy. Yes, right. This conflict. didn't embrace his human side. Yeah, who had this conflict might have been more susceptible to Cybok, but this Spock, who has sort of accepted that, you know, he needs to integrate the two halves of his of his conscience, you know, of his of his of his warring parts of his, his who he is, you know, um, is already sort of, you know, gone through the journey. And so what Cybok shows him doesn't like alter his life like it does the yeah, rest sure. of the world. Like it does it does change their point of view on things for the record um, there. Can we yeah. just uh, for all the listeners out there clearly show that right here now, this is proof that Spock doesn't always tell everyone about his siblings. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah that, that that's a fig leaf too. <laughs> um, There's somebody who's gone back and taken the the animated series episode where they go back in time with the young Spock and they've like drawn in like a young Cybok and a young Burnham from Discovery. <laughs> um, I, I'm I'm just gonna skip right over that one. Um, the uh, the um, it's interesting to think about. Uh, his message to his mother at the end of Star Trek Four, when he says, "Tell, tell mother I feel fine," uh, and I, it's it's a sort of acknowledgement that he has become comfortable in his own skin, literally. <clears throat> so, did anyone else has anyone else head yeah you know, retconned in their own head canon that um, the being uh, God, as you will, was really just like an exiled, trapped Q? No, no, <laughs> no. I, I don't think I don't think the power scale is right. Well, that's because he's in prison. Because I don't think there's any way that they're that they're blasting a, a Q. You know, they, I it's more powerful than a human, but it's not. We I don't can, think it's you know, capable. imprisoned Q. The planet is what uh, dampened his powers. Mm. That's why he couldn't get away from it. But but then why not retcon everything from the original well, series into being a Q? I mean, Trelane's been retconned by some people as a Q, but not all the other different ones that we encounter. 
like the ones that turned yeah. the little kid Charlie into you know a godlike being, or the the guy that turned the, all the other little <laughs> kids into godlike beings, or the or the one that set them against the Gorn, or you know, I mean, there's so many of those in classic Trek. It's like they're all cute. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that that's necessary. Um, so, uh, Stephanie, anything to say about Star Trek V? Um, well, I, I either wasn't remembering your daughter's list correctly, or I was confusing movies, <laughs> if this is her second okay. favorite. Um, this is her second I favorite. I think the only yeah. reason this isn't my last favorite is because I hate the motion picture so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is definitely pacier. I mean, she and I talked about that, because I told her in fan circles, usually this one and the motion picture are considered the worst. But, you know, this is so much pacier than the motion picture so the pacing helped so much yeah um because there's definitely not a need for me to to go past you know honestly i could have watched this one in regular time speed the only reason i watched it at one and a half speed was because i watched it according to my tweets four hours ago i was live tweeting about it um <laughs> The thing I can't get over watching this one, though, is because, you know, this one came out after Next Gen was already on the air, and so much of the Enterprise A is clearly just redressed Next oh, Gen oh, sets. That's, that's <laughs> one of my tweets that I was making. I'm like, wait, was that just a shot of the Enterprise D? Right, yeah, no, I'm <laughs> Those like, are totally <laughs> shots of the Enterprise D. And then I, I, of course, had to go Google it, and I'm like, yep, they're just reusing the set. Ah, so that was driving me nuts, and that's something I don't think I ever noticed in past times of watching this oh, one. Oh, I, so, well, ever since I first watched it, I've uh, had that issue with this one. I'm like, it's next gen sets. <laughs> um, I feel like I didn't usually pay attention that much to this movie because I I went into it remembering, okay, it's an odd one, it's gonna suck. Um, but like. Like I said, when we were talking about the search for Spock, how I went in with the odd one mentality. I'm like, okay, well, that one ended up better. Maybe this one really is better than I thought. And I was just really bothered that we didn't actually figure out or we didn't get the full plan of Cybok until we were already an hour into the movie. Um, we had a very brief description of it at the very beginning. But yeah, it took a full hour. I quickly load, paused it to see how, what minute mark I was at. And I was at a full hour before we actually knew what the plot was. Um, it did kind of bother me that when Spock sees Cybok, he's like, yeah, that was a old classmate of mine. And then like 45 minutes later, oh, he's my brother. Uh, <laughs> it's like they retconned it in the middle of the movie. Uh, and I don't know, there was the whole, I have a lot of critique on this one, and it's not really critique so much as just distaste for it, because there was Scotty being the buffoon, um, the implied romance between him and Uhura did kind of seem to come out of nowhere. Uh, <laughs> it comes out of nowhere, but it's, I, I agree with Eric, it's okay. It's okay. Well, it's, it's there was like, no one left, everyone else had paired or tripled off, you know? <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Um, I... I actually oh think the best part of the movie was McCoy saying, I liked him better before he died. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't, uh, you didn't like the uh, space boots, you know, <laughs> Wait, the space, the jet boots, the jet boots that Spock's wearing. Oh yeah. Those were just dumb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and such a convenient plot device. And yeah. You people have no souls. I just want you to know that. I mean, hey, I would say they were... We all like four. 
<laughs> I wanted the Cybox story to be a little more integrated because it's like there's this whole idea of Cybox trying to help people to accept their pain. That's this whole fascinating thing of this Vulcan raised with emotions, and then it devolves into I'm on a we're on a <laughs> we're yeah. on a mission to die. You know, it's like suddenly it turned into the Blues Brothers, and it's like how did when I wanted the two like sides of that to integrate a little bit better. You know, it felt almost like it was two different plots that sort of grafted onto each. As Ryan was saying earlier, this this movie had potential. Um, it was kind of squashed by budget issues, and it isn't at all what Shatner wanted it to be. Um, and chances of us actually ever getting his director's cut apparently are slim to none. But it it having good potential does not make it good. <laughs> this is true. We've got a full tank of dilithium. <laughs> it's thousand light years to Earth. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. <laughs> well, like like Engage. Like you said, um, <laughs> Next Gen was already out at this time, and you got to feel yeah. like they were trying to write this one as the final. Uh, it literally, it's literally called Final Frontier. It, it ends with this yeah. potential for peace between Klingons and the Federation. Yes. And you so you get the feeling yeah. that they wanted this to be the swan song for the original crew. And then afterwards, like, yeah, we, we, we can't go out on this one. I love the party at the end when, when uh, Chekhov and Sulu are following the oh, Klingon yes. woman around until yes. the Klingon guy stands up and then they just do an about face and walk the other way. <laughs> well, and they're, they're both talking about what great muscles. Oh, yeah. that, that, yeah. Maybe that's in six. I can't remember. No, that's the I fifth one. This one. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. 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 And this one also does the sin. Um, I can't. Rem- I, I can't remember it for all the movies. But each movie retconned or forgot uh, something from the original series, which was kind of important. Like uh, um, Chekhov wasn't in Spacey, but he knew who uh, Khan was, and Khan recognized him. Um, Although that could be explained by Chekhov just wasn't on the bridge crew yet, but was one of the people that got you know. But Khan recognized him. But you, I know. Right, right, but that's because Khan had gone through the ship rounding everybody up. So even though he oh, wasn't on screen in the episode, Chekhov could have been on the ship yeah, and just not just, part of the bridge crew yet. That's just yeah. what I assumed, that it was still Chekhov right. before he got the position that we know him for. Right. Possibly. But then, like, this one, there's a scene here when, um, towards the end, and Kirk and McCoy and Spock are having their moment like they always do. And Kirk says, you know, I had a brother once, or I lost a brother once. And Spock and McCoy look at him like, really? And yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> he died on the planet that you no, guys no, 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 no. See, I think you're misinterpreting that scene. They're not talking about his, his brother, Sam. I think his name was Sam, and who died because of the pancake monster. Yeah. <laughs> um, which, by the way, right, is, the, yeah. is the single scariest episode of the original series, except for uh, this shall be your last battlefield. Um, but mm, for reasons, yeah, I uh, agree. He he's actually talking about um, Spock. Of course, that's what. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, okay. but right. The dialogue later bears that out. But yeah, but, but when he first makes the statement, even before that, they look at him shocked, like you have a brother. Right? <laughs> it's like um, you guys should know that. <laughs> well, I'm I'm I have to go back and check that. I don't I don't remember that. I mean, I kind of took it more of a. They're looking at him like. Uh, yes, your point is. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, what happened to that nephew of yours, Kirk? <laughs> he got burnt in a fire. Oh wait, no. Oh, wrong nephew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wrong, wrong bridge crew member. Yeah. Right. Um. Um. 
anything else to say about uh, Star Trek Five? Um, Uhura and her fans uh, completely. Oh right, yes. <laughs> okay, fair. Um, right. Um, yeah, I mean, good try, Shatner. Good try. You know? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so then we get to the undiscovered country, and um, this is the first one. Either this is the only original series one I get to see in the theater. Um, I remember being old enough that I remember wanting to go see the final frontier, but my parents were very tight fisted with the money. And, um, so, uh, I, we usually only went to one movie a year as a family. And I don't remember what we saw that year with final frontier. Dead poet society. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> I think the year Batman came out. So I think we saw Batman. Yeah. Um, the Michael Keaton one. Um, but, uh, but yeah, because, because it was well known that, that undiscovered country was going to be the final one with the original cast. You know, my dad wanted to see it too, you know, that it was like, this is the end, you know, this is like a piece of history. So, um, so yeah, we saw it. And, um, so I have a lot of very fond memories of six. I mean, I think it's strong just from a script standpoint. Um, once again, David Warner, uh, being in the movie, <laughs> and uh, <Red> Foreman. <laughs> quite a bit. Um, Right. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I like the like the, the merging of, you know, they're trying to segue into next generation. And so they sort of set the conditions for, well, why are they allies in uh, the next generation time frame? And so we sort of get that progression. I like the fact that they allowed the characters to sort of grow. So we have Sulu on his own ship. Um, you know, I like that aspect. Although, of it. is that because characters are growing or is that because... Shatner and Takei just hated each other. They wouldn't work together anymore at that point. <laughs> Ryan, don't ruin it for I, me, I don't okay? think that's the case. I think it's more because it suited the pot. And there had been talk of Sulu getting his own like show. I don't know whether that came later or, or not. But he, he was always sort of in plot. Like, even, even in, um, in the third movie, he expresses uh, admiration for the Excelsior. Yeah. Nice um, callback. Well, well, uh, I can say this because I didn't get to see the, the Final Frontier in the movie theater. My parents bought me the novelization, so I actually read that before seeing the movie. And in the novelization of Final Frontier, Sulu's talking about how um, he's actively pursuing getting captaincy of his own ship. So that's something that they actually did pre-plan. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, it, it was it was already in the. It was already sort of an idea, apparently, or they, it wouldn't have been in the novelization. So, um, but uh, but yeah, and I love the callback to like I like I mentioned with with Star Trek Three that the, the you know what drives a lot of the action in this. What happens is that the conspiracy uses Kirk's you know racism against the guns, basically. Um, because of what had happened with his son. He couldn't see past that. He couldn't accept that there might be legitimate overtures of peace from the Klingons and that dinner scene. Oh my God. With the Klingon delegation. That's just, <laughs> that is so well acted by everybody, you know, between the embarrassment on some people's parts, the, the actual hostility between, you know, some of the, on both sides and all of that. And, you know, Chancellor Gorkin trying to be like the voice of reason, you know, and Spock oh. trying to be the voice. Of reason. I just love all of, all of the dynamic that's going on there with these two sides that don't trust each other. You know, having to sit down and break bread together. I saw that one in the theater too, and that scene when 
Kirk goes, Earth, Hitler, 1939. Just the in the audience. The, it was like uh, all of the jaws in the ground. <laughs> <breathing room. laughs> yeah. Oh, God. I love this movie. And, um, you know, I, I, I like that there's a little bit of a mystery in it. You know, there's 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 so many cool things in it. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, Ryan, what do you think about this one? Uh, it's you know I go back and forth between this and Khan as far mm-hmm. as my favorite. It's a tie. Um, sometimes it's one, sometimes it's the other. This one, it's it's kind of interesting. Um, it does set up so much of the next generation even though the next generation has already been on and just the star trek as we know it it establishes it here even though things got changed mm-hmm. the ending was apparently changed um after they'd already shot spock's episodes on next generation because spock references you mm-hmm. know the tragedy that happened to the enterprise uh and they rewrote i, I suspect that originally a lot of the crew was going to die or the enterprise was going to be destroyed again or something like that um at Kittimer. But uh, that got rewritten, I guess, to give them that moment going off uh, into the stars. Um, it does call back on so much. You've got Admiral Cartwright. You've got David being referenced again. And originally, it's my understanding that um, uh, Valeris was supposed to be Savick again. Yes. And I've got to say, I'm so glad that they did not write Savick as a traitor. Uh, no, no, I am too. I, I, although I feel like there's more of a little romantic tension between him and Valeris than there is yeah. between uh, Savick and anyone. Yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Yeah. Because that scene with her in his quarters, it almost seems like it's like, wait a minute, <laughs> is there is she is she his student or is she his student? You know? <laughs> uh, and the um, the uh, mind meld with her is ever so slightly erotic too. That one is, but the one later on disturbs me now. I mean, yeah. when I watched it, I nothing. It just I didn't think anything about it. But I guess times have changed, and I've become more aware uh, in ways that I weren't then. But when I watched that second one on the bridge, where he basically forcibly mind melds her, I that's that's the only thing about this movie that really just makes me feel ugh. Well, that was actually the one I was referencing. Oh, um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that. Well, now I am very uncomfortable that you mentioned that as being erotic. Well, I mean, it's a form of assault. Yeah, I I don't mean I don't mean erotic in the sense that I just mean it has sexual overtones to it. Ah, Um, well, yeah, no, I mean, it's a rape allegory, yes. (laughs) But um, yeah, (laughs) Um, but uh, but yeah, Eric, what do you think about uh, um, um, a discovered country? Um, I, I, it's it's certainly a uh, a Cadillac of a movie. Um, it's uh, certainly I'm glad they went out on that one instead of Final Frontier, even though I like Final Frontier a lot. Um, uh, but they all sort of depart as equals, and and everybody's happy, and things are good, and Kirk has sort of um, purged himself of his of his uh, sins in a way. Um, you know, the last one being the sin of racism or whatever, prejudice. Um, but, I, you know, it's I've always been told that I should think it's an all-conquering classic and, you know, up there with Khan. And I, I don't I don't know that it is. I mean, it's a great, great film and I love it, uh, but it doesn't do it for me the way that uh, the earlier ones do. And, and partly that might be because of the time period when I saw it. You know, I was I was in my early teens. And so the magic 
think was the luster had slightly dulled. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, you know, so it's the last one. So it's sort of like, uh, there's no hope of there being more with these people. And, and that, that changes the way you see things too. But you know, the, the bit with the signatures at the end always makes me very weepy. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I do think that having like Colonel Worf was a bit self indulgent and unnecessary. Uh, I don't have a strong problem with it, but it just feels like you know, like Michael Dorn wanted to be like shoehorned into one of these. It's so Grandpa here he is. Worf. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. We also had Odo giving the uh, Federation yeah. president a a flip chart <laughs> right but he doesn't look just like Oda right it's the same actor but well, he doesn't technically, look my Grandpa problem with Worf, Colonel Worf is Grandpa that Worf did not look exi- like Worf aside from the fact that it was Michael Dorn the makeup was completely different he was clearly a different Klingon who just wow. had the very distinct the clothes voice. were completely different but hey, I Nathan, think are you saying all Klingons look alike wow <laughs> <laughs> no I'm just saying that they had the two Worfs look exactly the same he did differ makeup the problem was was that he was still named Worf <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. yeah I don't mind people playing for, like I can't I, you know, like Mark Leonard playing a Klingon and motion picture. I mean, I don't care because I can't tell, you know. But yeah, Michael Dorn had a very distinctive voice. He was still called Worf. Sure, different makeup, different ridges, and all that stuff. But <laughs> sheesh, yeah, it's just here's Grandpa Worf. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts on undiscovered country, Stephanie? Um, I actually, you know, I had a very clear memory of this one. Um, when I sat down to watch it this afternoon, uh, <laughs> just, this actually, no, this isn't the most, uh, me finishing up the animated series was probably the closest call that I ever made to finish something. Cause I think Nathan was calling me as the end credits were running. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, anyhow, I had very clear recollection of this movie, but for some reason, despite remembering it clearly it had no actual impact on me like i couldn't really place it anywhere on a scale of whether i like it or not other than it definitely wasn't one or three or one or five i mean um but i i don't know what's wrong with me it's just it was very underappreciated in my memory um and while you liked we, it better the second time, yeah. Well, the first time? this is like the fifteenth time I've seen it. But <laughs> um, when I was a kid, anytime I stayed home sick from school, if I wasn't watching Sailor Moon, I was watching Star Trek, uh, be it the movies or the Next Generation, because those are the ones that I had all of in physical media, where I could just get up and pop a new tape in my tape pl- VCR. That's the word I'm looking. <laughs> <laughs> At least you know what one is. Um, so yeah, I actually had all of those on a a a VHS tape. That's the right phrase, right? Wow, it's been yes. a while. <laughs> and uh, so so I watched all of these a lot. Um, it's just it's been a long time since I last watched them, and yeah, this one just was really underappreciated in my own memories, and I. Like, I was spending all of five, like, live tweeting, God, this movie is crap. Um, and I kind of was like, all right, I'm just going to keep up with this live tweeting thing. And with uh, with Undiscovered Country, I'm like, oh, crap, I'm actually invested in this. And 
all of my tweets were either call outs to, hey, look, this person comes back later or already is in the series as another character. Um, or me realizing, how did I not remember this movie being as good as it is? Um, and if I had to rank them right now, I think it would actually be four, then six in my top two favorites. Yeah. This is my daughter's third favorite one. Um, I, I do wonder why they have a whole bunch of like really thick books to for Klingon to English. I mean, I get why they don't use the translator, but can't they just put up on the computer like just the text? Why not a Kindle? Right, yeah, exactly. Or no, I know. Yeah, why not they that? using the translator to listen and then trying to right, respond? Right, and that's the other part of it. <laughs> It's a cute so scene. So that scene was so weird, but it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's exactly what yeah. um, It was like they basically realized this movie's a little bit more serious than the last couple. How, how can we throw a quick joke in here? Yeah. I mean, um, they wanted I, to get back to what made Star Trek work was, you know, the political allegory and cultural societal commentary. And so, yeah, this one is definitely a story about getting past the Cold War. Yeah. Although I do find it weird that the uh, the head of the Federation is getting like security debriefings about the the situation with Kirk while the Romulan ambassador is sitting in the room with him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was a little weird. I mean, I, 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 so, now I can't watch it. I expect him to just finish every line with "dumbass." You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I know. I I think Undiscovered Country was a great way to end the movies. Um, not only because it ties in with with next gen and sort of gives you like the sort of handshake, so that while I'm watching with my daughter, you know, I can watch all the TOS movies all the way to the end and then start next gen, and that feels like a progression, you know. Whereas you know, well, when, at the actual time, this came out in '92 and next gen was already almost done by the time we got this movie. Um, so, uh, so, so I like that, and I, I but I, I also like it because this does give the cast; they all get like their moments, you know, in this movie too. So it's all, it's 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 a wonderful coda, and it's got some of the best lines as well. You know, uh, Spock. Yeah, if we don't, I don't remember who. Someone says, "If we don't do this, we're all dead." And Spock goes, "I've been dead before." You know, <laughs> <laughs> that was a good line. Yeah, there, there are just so many. Star Trek as a whole, the movies were great with the callbacks, but this one it had quite quite a few as well. I like the fact that they uh, never shy away from the fact that the cast is aging, um, yeah. and in fact, the uh, the infirmity yeah. of of McCoy is a minor plot point in some of that. Um, you know that he's not going to survive uh, the prison planet, the name of which eludes me at the moment. Aurora Pente. Aurora Pente. Thank you. Um, uh, and uh, you know that. Kirk might, you know, because he's 10 years younger or whatever, he might make it to safety, but he's got this club foot of McCoy that he's dragging around. And, you know, there's there's elements that that are, uh, I don't know, if it's a survival type film, you know, you wouldn't want McCoy necessarily to be your, your <laughs> the person you're dragging through the wilderness. Yeah, but he also had David Bowie's wife, so he was doing all right. Well, that is true. <laughs> Uh, we we also get another great Klingon in the um, the Whip Warden yeah. of War, Warapente is uh, Morgan okay, yeah. uh, W Morgan That's Shepherd right. or yeah. something, uh, um, who was uh, on uh, Babylon Five and a bunch of other yeah. things. Um, but he's the the warden there. He has that great distinctive voice. You know. Yeah, it's, it's I so mean, good. I I can only name three Klingon chancellors, and Gorkin 
is one of them. Uh, you know, <laughs> have we ever seen more than three? <laughs> we've seen. Oh, you will not forget Galron, yeah, Galron, <laughs> and Martok. Yeah. You know, <laughs> right? And and oh crap, what was the one before Galron? Um, uh, yeah, I can't. Kenpeck, Duras, Kenpeck. Well, no, no, no it wasn't Duras. It was the guy uh, before them that was the one that that. Was when Worf was discom, you know, did had discombination. Um, was it Ken Peck? I can't remember. Yeah, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah, the old guy. Sorry, I hate Klingon, so I. No. <laughs> I just I've never, never remember their names. I, I've never found anything remotely interesting about the Klingons. Oh, okay. <laughs> um. In fact, not I even like the women. The <laughs> Jeez, we have so no, much time no, no, no. with see, Star Trek see, Eric, Eric likes the the librarian uh, look, the uh, the the matron. Oh yeah, I guess he was talking about uh, the the scientist from four. And, I, you know, I like that look, but at the same time, Ursa and Betor. I mean, come on. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't want that. Uh, uh, that's more the dominatrix that, style. That's more for me and Ryan to share this. <laughs> Uh, um, I, I remember uh, being uh, Eric and I used to watch a lot of stuff together when we both lived in South Carolina, and I used to always be surprised by his choices. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Nathan. <laughs> Thanks for announcing that to the whole of your listening audience too. I didn't say what they were. Just... <laughs> <laughs> but that That's one okay. was really messed up. <laughs> no, no, no. From the comments I make on this podcast, all his listeners probably think I'm some raging lesbian, and I'm not. <laughs> You're not? <laughs> not raging. <laughs> um, I actually prefer the more human Klingons of the original series. Mm. Um, and I don't think the makeup's negligible to me. I, I don't care either way, but I don't like the all that drivel about honor and all that crap. It bores me, uh, and it's so rarely dealt with consistently that it just—I don't know—it's a waste of time, if you ask me. Uh, I think uh, I think her name was Kayla, Worf's woman. Yeah, I thought she was. Oh, now I, I liked I liked her, and I liked the actress too. I, there are two mm. Kalars, though. I think isn't there? In no, it was the same woman. Both was times, it okay? I think. Uh, there's Belana one of them. That come, sorry, Belana from Voyager. No, no, no. There, I was. I always think there was two Kalars, but maybe I'm thinking of a different character. Um, yeah, well, yeah. His his dwarf son kept changing. Yeah, the, they're like five Alexander. Yeah, the less we but... talk about Alexander, the better. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Wolf thinks as well. <laughs> it's so bad he's going to come back in time and kill you. <laughs> oh, zing. Okay. Um. So, uh, any, any, does anyone have anything more they want to say about the undiscovered country? Yes. Um, okay. um, I love it, but it's stupid. Um, <laughs> why does the Enterprise have a galley? Yeah. Um, well, that's okay. In Wrath of Khan, I want to know why they have to pull up like 5 million deck plates to put a torpedo <laughs> down. <laughs> um, and secondly, um, the sequence where Valeris talks about Sabo is beautiful. That doesn't do anything for you guys. Where what? I, I'm where, lost. Where she talks about the Sabo <laughs> and uh, um, when the Dutch would throw their shoes into things. Oh, to, oh, sabotage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well. 
Well, but then again, don't forget. I mean, Spock also has an ancestor who uh, who um, said whatever uh, the Sherlock quote. Um, whenever you rule out the improbable, whatever the impossible, whatever left, however improbable, must be the truth. You know. So this this Star Trek taking embellishments. <laughs> well, she just describes the history of the word is all. Um, but it, it's it the way it's delivered is is nice. I've forgotten oh. what's the actress's name. I've forgotten it. Um, um, Kim Cattrall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's one other thing in that movie that is really. Oh, we haven't talked about Christian Slater. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. His his shadowy cameo. <laughs> I didn't even notice until I was looking at the IMDb later. Which I didn't even know it was. Yeah, my brother was like the biggest Christian Slater fan at the time, and by just the sound Ooh. of his voice, he's like, "It's Christian Slater," well, and I'm out, like, "What? Really?" His mother is Mary Jo Slater, I think, who did the casting for those movies in. And oh, and like all those God. TV series from the eighties and nineties, so um, she got the cameo for him on that on that movie. I think is how that went down. That's what the IMDb says. It's just like with all the new Star Wars movies, all the big name actors. I'm sure wanted to have like even a walk on part part yeah. for a Star Trek movie because it's like, hey, it's Star Trek. It's an event kind of thing. So yeah, it's something you can tell your kids. You know, <laughs> right. I'm that stormtrooper. I, I bet they don't now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or eat franchise. <laughs> Man. Um, Ouch. Up room. Uh, uh, sorry, I, I, I don't acknowledge that the Kelvin universe even exists. Yeah, no, I get I, it. You know, uh, I, I. However. Go ahead. No, you don't like Wrath of Kanto. <laughs> uh, technically, Spacey 2.0. But, um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, no, that's I'm, more accurate. I'm but... with you on that, uh, Eric, to an extent. But I, I mean, if you're on the Discovery, if there's, if if you're on another podcast with you, I will talk with you for hours about that. I think it exists, but I think it's wrong the way they did it. Well, I will. The only thing about the Kelvin stuff that I, I respect, uh, which isn't much, <laughs> is um, uh, some of the casting. They actually got pretty good. The guy oh, yeah. that plays Kirk is, um, excuse me, not Kirk uh, McCoy is mm, yeah. damn good. Um, yeah. But I love the fact that at least they made a point of making it an alternate universe that connected to the original universe. Um, I appreciated that because it at least, as it were, kept it in the same universe together. Rather than it being just a, a random reboot that happened to be somewhat yes. vaguely similar. Um, I hate it, <laughs> but it, at least it's connected to the original universe. Yeah, I said that that was a very Trek way of doing a reboot. Was it's like an incontinuity reboot because it's a time travel. Except they screwed it up. It they screwed it up. Though. Well, I, 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 I. But the thing is, is that it melted because of a screw up. So. <laughs> All right, we're going to talk about this later. Yeah, with the and Kelvin honestly, movie I'm podcast, the wrong person but... to ask because I, I've not watched those very closely because they upset me so much. So, uh, mm. and and the same thing with Discovery. I, I haven't seen most of it because. The first episode was enough to turn me off. Oh, the first episode was terrible, but the rest is so good. Yeah. No, no, it's yeah. not because, forgive me, but <laughs> because the design is all wrong. It's They had such a great opportunity with Discovery, and they just asked it all up by not, a, not doing a retro design show that capitalized on uh, retro nostalgia for the 60s look. 
triggered, triggered. I agree with Eric on, on some level, as I talked about with the discovery thing that we did, but yeah, no, I, I don't want to go down this yeah. route right yeah, now. I mean, you want it like bothers me, picture, so this is guys. pointless for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, the, my, the last episode, they had knobs and buttons, but, um, I will say, uh, in Star Trek Four, to go back, one that we all agree we loved, if the Kelvin universe, which isn't Discovery, if that ex- create, was created the way they say, then when Kirk said, we're going back in time to get whales, that was just basically a giant F you to Starfleet. Your, your plant's being destroyed. We're going to go create our own with whales. What? <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Because I just I, thought with Blackjack and Hooker, because of the way you Blackjack said that. Okay. Right, that's what because I Because yes, going back no, in time creates an alternate universe, which Except, is how but, the Kelvin universe gets created. Except no, it see, doesn't. I disagree with you there, because, I mean, I'm not a quantum physicist, but um, nor do I play one on TV. <laughs> but regardless of what rules we might think physics would suggest about this, the, clearly the implication of time travel in star trek is that there's only one universe and i agree with you 100 percent, with one exception or two if you count the kelvin universe which is was my whole problem with it right but but until the kelvin nothing big enough had happened to alter you know to split them all yes like that whatever uh, no, actually it had multiple times throughout the series Not- Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. Guys, yeah. guys, guys, but we're going to really stop that know. here because we're not going to have <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah, me too. <laughs> okay. Well, well, we've got the yesterday's Enterprise yeah. issue with Yar coming back and yeah, having but, a kid. But Yar is just a whale in that timeline, even though she came from the. <laughs> okay. City at the edge of forever. <laughs> the moment McCoy goes back, they lose all contact with the Federation because the Federation doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, but then they fix it. <laughs> because it's one continuous timeline. <laughs> Yeah, right. But they have, <laughs> okay. haven't fixed the Kelvin okay. universe. Right. Because it's a separate timeline, which but it shouldn't be. Except for it is Enterprise episode where you can go back in time and jump over to a uh, alternate universe. The dark well, mirror. Only uh, fully can do that. <laughs> how, are you, how are you saying that there's only one established uh, universe when we have multiple well, mirror yeah, universes? I mean, all right. Episodes. So my point of view on this, since everyone's expressing their point of view, is that it is one <laughs> continuous universe, and that um, just like you know, just much like with Yar going back in time, she's from another timeline. But it, as she as she had survived, she would have just progressed through our timeline from that point because the whole universe had altered. Is that uh, the Spock from our universe? Is Kelvin would just experience the whole Kelvin universe and that right now until they fix it, the Kelvin universe is the one timeline. There is no separate alternate universe to jump back to the other timeline. But then how are. do you explain the mirror universes when they're both going on at the same time? I don't know that they're universes so much as dimensions, but of course, now that <laughs> now that they went back and showed the Enterprise history of that, that doesn't really hang together either. Because time is a dimension of its own, but also has dimensions. <laughs> Putting all Whovian in here now. Yeah, yeah sorry about Eric, that. Eric knew where I was going with that one. Uh, um, <laughs> I mean, I got it, but... The series have established that you can move back and forward in time in, in your timeline, and that you can move... like So think of that as up and down, and you can move left and right okay. uh, into parallel universes. Um, there's one example from... The original series and Enterprise, where the Defiant, uh, not the Defiant, I can't remember the name of the ship, might have been the Defiant, uh, 
the Defiant was the one yes. in the Tholian uh, web. From the Tholian web, went back in time and jumped universes. Um, into- That's something Enterprise did. Enterprise yeah. didn't happen. Right? <laughs> Enterprise isn't that bad. <laughs> Enterprise is the only Trek that was so bad that it made me stop watching Although, it. Although, yeah, I gotta admit, I rage quit watching it in the first run. <laughs> well, are worth watching. Seasons three and four. But oh, yeah, they are. If you, if you get rid of Enterprise, then you screw up the Kelvin universe because it's connected to Enterprise. I know, I know. Let's not. Which hey here, doesn't recommend either. We of already them. started. Let's <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is all getting edited out. <laughs> all, right. all right. So undiscovered uh, country. Eric gave his final thoughts. Uh, Ryan and Steffi, do you have anything more you wanted to say about undiscovered country? Well, I know that you guys said that you're glad that it wasn't. Um, Oh, shoot. We sidetracked so much now. I can't remember her name. Um, Savage. Yeah. I know you guys said you were glad that she didn't end up being a traitor, but um, the way the story played out, I am glad. But from reading the stuff that was either in novelizations or ideas that were thrown out and so on and so forth, I think that if those had played out, it would have been a disjustice if she hadn't ended up being a traitor. Because, like, with her being half Romulan and her apparently having a relationship with David and the idea that maybe she was even pregnant with the, I don't know whether we want to say it was Spock's or David's. Um, it was supposed but, to be Spock's, I think, wasn't you know, it? That- that would be yeah, an interesting but, I mean, counterpoint, though. Yeah, but I mean, if, if Savick turned out to be a traitor, I well, wanted to be no, the first I mean, I, All of those, all of those <laughs> events would make perfect sense as yeah. to why she wouldn't want peace with the Klingons. It makes and sense. Why she yeah. would be going on in this conspiracy to end these negotiations. It, it's kind of a. Yeah, I see Stephanie's point here. It's like it, she would be the polar opposite of Kirk in that aspect. They both lost David, but Kirk managed to. Uh, you know, not paint every Klingon with that brush, whereas Savick, it would she couldn't get past it. Yeah, but why would she have framed Kirk? Well, he was just convenient because of the whole thing with David. It did. Le- le- oh, because finally she grew into a real Vulcan and could be could think truly logically. Well, <laughs> don't forget that uh, Spock's the one that volunteered Enterprise for that yeah. mission. They probably wouldn't necessarily have been the original ones to do right. it. So so, so oh, one well, thing I will say, enough. though, that I like that this established is the idea of Vulcan, you know, uh, this is another one Eric's going to like, uh, logic is just a way of being wrong with authority, <laughs> <laughs> which is a Doctor Who quote. But, um, the, uh, but the idea that, you know, Vulcans can be just as prejudiced as anyone else, and, you know, they just use their logic to come to the conclusion that they, you know, feel is right. And so, uh, you know, this is something Discovery is playing on quite a bit with logic extremism, you know, the term they're using there. But, um, but yeah, I like that the, they sort of had the genesis of that idea yeah, that Vulcans can be kind of sinister because, you, you know, logic is just a way of, like, you know, uh, processing information and coming to conclusions. But... If your premise that you're basing your logic on is is flawed, then your logic is going to come out with, you know, all kinds of results. So, um, you know, I, I like that they started going that route. And, of course, Enterprise also, even though, I, like I said, I didn't like Enterprise as a show. I did like the idea that, like, sort of the sinister aspect of Vulcans that they played up that, you know, they could be, they weren't, you know, all just good, pure pacifists. They weren't all you know, was, was it, Right. <laughs> was, uh, was an interesting, well, was, was an interesting way to go with that. I'm not sure how I feel about sinister Vulcans. And 
that's an invention of Enterprise and, uh, you know, later shows. And I, I don't, I mean, you know, the, the Vulcans were very antiseptic and not nice up till now, but they've never really had a capacity for evil. And I don't, I don't know that I like that, but. No, no, I think Dupring was pretty evil. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've forgotten who, which one was she. She was the Spock's intended. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, okay. You know, she was also she was experiencing Ponfar or something. She was she was one of these undeveloped young Vulcans, right? Yeah. Hey, and don't forget Cisco's baseball nemesis. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, them. They should have flown uh, them into a giant amoeba like they did the Intrepid. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, Ryan, do you have any final thoughts on Star Trek Six? Um, again, I'll just reiterate: it's my favorite slash second favorite were the originals. Uh, Gene Roddenberry absolutely hated it. Um, he praised everyone at the the viewing and then left and immediately tried to get it scuttled. Um, it was he thought it was too militaristic and and too not what he wanted Star Trek to be. Um, I, I, I'm I think it's a shame that that's the last one he saw. But then again, since the next one is Generations, maybe maybe that's not the worst thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it but, probably uh, would have killed him if he'd seen that. Yeah. <laughs> Are you sure? He, I mean, because it came out in '91. Yeah. Um, so they when, rolled him in on a wheelchair to watch okay. it. Okay, yeah, but he must not have died too much longer after it was released. Uh, what I was reading earlier today, he died within days of seeing it. Yeah, well, maybe it killed him. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> he yeah. couldn't accept that it was actually better than he thought it was. Well, it's interesting <laughs> because although you can say it's a really militaristic episode or whatever, I mean, the whole idea is at the end of the day, we need to put our prejudices behind us. And work together. So I, I, yeah. I, I mean, it's it's counterintuitive, and the movie makes that point. But I mean, how optimistic and noble is it that Klingons and humans and Romulans who hate each other can come together to continue that hatred? Right. It's like, <laughs> yeah, we're all working together for a conspiracy to keep our <laughs> governments from coming together. Exactly. <laughs> you know? yeah. no, Maybe true. that was the group that came off of. Um, uh, Shakari together, right? <laughs> that was the new future they were imagining. That was the beginning. <laughs> all right, um, all right. So yeah, this. Uh, so oh man, so yeah, this this I knew it was going to be a long one because you're talking about six <laughs> Star Trek, man. Yeah, I know. We're talking about six, you know, fairly, you know, long movies and um, getting into all of it. But uh, this was a lot of fun, guys. You know, it. Uh, yeah, likewise. About Talking about, uh, you know, old friends and um, good movies. Um, but, uh, yeah, now let's wrap things out. Um, say goodbye and let people know where they can find you. So, um, Eric, we'll start with you. Say goodbye and let people know if they can find you. <laughs> uh, well, goodbye. And thanks for letting me uh, talk about these things because the movies are very special to me. Very, very kind of intimate uh, part of my childhood. So I'm, I'm really thrilled to be able to share thoughts about them. Um, as far as finding me, you'll have to take my class or one of my classes. Uh, and otherwise, look out for that book on Jesse one of these days. All right. Yeah, when, uh, when it gets published, um, I'll make sure that if, uh, if there isn't an episode for you, gone, I'll at least mention it on the show. <laughs> Thanks. No problem. Um, so, Stephanie, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? 
Well, you can find me on Twitter and pretty much anywhere at as Elkrea, A-L-K-R-E-A. Um, I would say that's probably the place I'm most active lately. Uh, and on there, I'm usually babbling about either Sailor Moon related stuff or I'm tweeting about my writing. Um, so that's where you can find me. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure that every single time we have a podcast, I'm giving a different place where you really should look for me because <laughs> I, I just float around from, all right, I'm really into this social media right now. And then, no, I'm not. Now I'm into this one. And then, oh, wait, no, I'm going back to that one. So right now it's Twitter. Um, <laughs> that's the place to find me um and uh you can also find me here on the upcoming other star trek ones that we're going to be doing i don't know when it depends on how long it takes me to finally watch things um and uh yeah thanks for having me again yeah no problem stephanie uh and ryan why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you yeah uh still not gonna say goodbye sorry um you're with me forever, Internet, so just get used <laughs> to that. Uh, you can find me on, uh, well, the best bet is probably Facebook. You know, That's that old social media service that uh, all the people who saw these movies in the theater use. Um, <laughs> not the hip new whatever Snap Twitter thing that people are on. Um, Although, actually, I'm on all those, too. Uh, <laughs> I, just, I just don't check them. You, know? uh, you can, by all means, please go to geekstranger.com because I like seeing that I had a visitor. Um, it's, it's not updated. And honestly, to be sure, I haven't checked it out myself in a while. So I, I hope it's still up. You know? if you get it's an suddenly airs- right. with porn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's right for updates, <laughs> Ryan, to link to this podcast. There you go. Sure, I need to at least do that. But you know what? If it was gonna, if I, if it was gonna redirect porn, I promised I'll make sure it's like Trek porn or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, yeah, find me on all these people's Facebook pages. You know, tell them they're wrong about something. <laughs> Well, um, Ryan, Stephanie, and Eric, it was great having you on this. Thanks for having me. And that's it for our Star Trek movie podcast. We hope that you liked the episode, and you can let us know in a lot of different ways. One way is to email us at everything at 42cast.com. Another way is to go to our Facebook at facebook.com slash 42cast. You can go to our website at 42cast.com. You can also go to Twitter or Instagram at 42cast, and you can contact us there. You can also leave us reviews on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts. And in the case of Apple Podcasts, it actually really helps if you give us a review because the more reviews that we have, the more we'll show up in searches there. So I would personally like the show to get out more to a wider audience, and hopefully you want the show to get out more to a wider audience. So if you haven't done a review on Apple Podcasts, I would really appreciate if everyone listening to this, if you have an Apple account, go and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I also should mention the ESO Network Patreon, which is a way that you can help all the shows on the ESO Network. You can do that by going to patreon.com slash ESO Network. You can look at the different tiers for different amounts of money. You get different perks. You can get early episodes of the different shows on the network. You can get exclusive episodes of certain shows. You can even get a whole exclusive ESO Network podcast. So you can go check that out. And of course, if you have any money that you would like to contribute, we would all greatly appreciate that. I also want to plug the other two podcasts that I'm on. First one is Time Streams, where my friend Juliet and I are going through all of Doctor Who from the beginning. We're talking about the episodes, what we like about them, what we don't like about them. 
and uh, you don't have to buy the episodes yourself. I know it's really hard, especially in the United States, to find a lot of classic Who. We describe all the important stuff that happens in the episode, but if you do want to follow along with us, you'll definitely get more out of it. But if you want to just listen to the banter, you can just do that too. The other show is Legendary Forces, where Juliet and I, again, but now joined by Ashley, Corinne, and Joe, are going through all of Star Wars fictional media from the beginning. So we're talking about the TV shows, comic books, novels, everything, including the movies, that actually takes place in the Star Wars universe. And we talk about not only just the quality of the media that we're reviewing, but also the sort of expanding and evolving sense of what Star Wars is. And, you know, start talking about things like canon and continuity and when certain things get dropped and how certain things, even when they're no longer canon, still have elements that persist on into the newer media. So it's a really kind of fun concept. It's something that Star Wars is really near and dear to my heart. I'm really appreciating. So I'd love for you to share that with us also. Uh, in con news, uh, when this one comes out, it'll be just days before Chicago TARDIS. I will be there. Probably not doing any other cons for quite a while, probably not even within the year. I mean, Dragon Con 2022, I guess, is a possibility, but a very remote one. And I'm really curious what C2E2 is going to do, because they're now so far off their normal schedule. If they'll even try to do a con in 2022, or if they'll sort of reset and do uh, late winter, early spring 2023 which is kind of their normal schedule. So I'll keep track of that and let you know if I'm going to appear at any of those. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's it for this week. I don't want to get too much into what's going on in my life right now because I'm recording this way in advance. <laughs> so we'll come back next week. We'll uh, have some things, I guess, that are more topical, more about what's going on now. So with all that being said, join us back next week when Stephanie Kulak will be joining us because yes i'm doing something we haven't done since episode one i'm just having a few castmates on the show for us to just ask each other questions and just sort of talk and so it's going to be a fun episode it's me it's stephanie it's james it's mike nelson so uh i hope you enjoy that but until then this is nathan signing off You have been listening to the 42 cast copyright 2021 got a question for the ultimate answer contact us at everything at 42 cast.com theme music is sharper swords by brandon ellis check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com the 42 cast is a proud member of the eso network has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.